0: I'd like to officially welcome Stephanie London to the Fresh Fiction Virtual Book Club tonight. Thanks for joining us, Stephanie.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Well, and again, thanks for joining us right before the Thanksgiving holidays here in the States. I mean, is this, but it's not really a big holiday for you, right? Because you live up in Canada.
1: Yeah. So we actually have already had our Thanksgiving a month ago. So I'm just waiting for Black Friday sales at this point.
0: See, that part is universal, right? Yeah,
1: that everyone gets that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Stephanie, let's kick this off and tell us a little bit about yourself other than that you live in Canada and how did you get started writing?
1: Yeah, so I'm Stephanie. I was born and raised in Melbourne, Australia, which you can probably tell from the accent. But I've been living in Toronto for the last, oh, I think we're at nine years now. So still not quite acclimatized to just how cold it is here. But I do love the city of Toronto and being close to the US so that I can um do lots of events like these when they're not in the middle of the night. So that's really good. <laughs> um and I've been a I've been a wannabe writer ever since I was a little kid. I was that cliche kid in class that when whenever we did a readathon, the teacher would just immediately give me extra sheets to log all of the books that she knew I was gonna read. And I read all of my English books before the semester started. And I have a business degree that is basically mostly English lit subjects that I crammed into any elective that I was allowed to pick.
0: I love and how you put that in quotes as you're talking yeah. about it.
1: Business degree. <laughs> Super serious <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's basically I wanted to do an arts degree and my dad kind of kiboshed that so I got the next best thing that I could get and um, I've been published next year will be 10 years so yeah I've been doing this for a while and um, been writing rom-coms and then recently I've transitioned into writing some mist- cozy mysteries and thrillers Um, And I just love books, love reading, love writing, love everything fictional. So I'm very happy girl because this is the best job in the world.
0: Well, what was it that really convinced you to make that transition from the business degree? And you were mostly in corporate America, right? Doing HR work. Yeah. What was that transition from there into actually sitting down and writing your first manuscript?
1: Yeah, it was so when I I got married uh in 2012 and on my honeymoon my sister gave me a copy of 50 shades of gray because that's what you should take on your honeymoon. And um when I was there I was like we were in a resort in Fiji and I was reading a ton of books and down at the marina they had a beautiful little um like a news agency and they had all of these Harlequin category books in there. And I just one day was in there browsing and just looking at all of the lovely, like painted covers. They had some like really old ones there. And I was like, Oh, well, I finished all the books that I took with me because that's what I do on holidays. And I just bought a stack of these books and started reading them. And I was like, oh my God, these are great. How have I never read these books before? And then when I came home, I'd been, you know, thinking about wanting to write for a while. And my mum was like, "You you should just go for it. Like, what have you got to lose? You've always been good at English and you know, you love books. So just like, give it a go. And I literally ended up selling the first thing I ever wrote. So my transition from Being unpublished to published was super quick and unusual. And then I just kind of ended up when we moved to Canada, I quit the corporate world. I was working in human resources and change management and was not very happy. It was a very uncreative kind of job Um, and it was sort of, you know, well paying, but I didn't feel very fulfilled. And so when we moved over here, I actually went back to my previous career, which was working as a makeup artist Um, working at a Mac counter, and then writing on the side. And as my career started to take off, eventually, I let the makeup work go and just sort of transitioned that way. But I think moving to Canada and like having to quit my job anyway, definitely kind of sped things up.
0: Well, what is it like now that you're writing, because you're writing full time. Yeah. And with that being your job, how do you refill that, uh, your creative inspiration then? Because now that that's your full-time position as opposed to where it was kind of, oh, this is what I'm doing more as a hobby and an outlet. How do you balance that now that you've made that switch?
1: That's a really good question because I think that that's something that a lot of people don't consider when they make the leap into turning their hobby into a job. And I have to say, I actually went through, I'm like naturally a very hardworking, I like work. I like to be busy. And, but I did actually go through a, a phase where I kind of didn't know what to do with myself in my spare time, because all I ever did in my spare time was right. But now I was doing that for work. So I just kept working more. And my husband was the one that said to me, like, you, know, you needed to find some balance with this. And find something else to kind of be the creative thing on the side that gets you, you know, your brain out of work. Because for me, I need, like I actually need space from the manuscript to let the story percolate. And so it makes me a better writer to have that time away from the computer and away from the story. So um, I just took up a bunch of other creative hobbies. I knit, I um, love to bake, I play video games. um, I play Dungeons and Dragons with my sister and her husband. And I have a lot of other sort of like creative outlets. Um, And I just find that, yeah, having space for those things in my life actually makes me a better writer because it gives my brain time to like, let everything settle after a day of writing. And then when it come back the next day, I actually have more to say because I've given myself that time.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's like your brain is just kind of percolating all those different ideas while you're technically focused on something else.
1: Yeah, it's kind of wild actually do my best work in the shower. (laughs) So like at the end of the day, when I'm like washing my hair and and I'll be like, oh, that's how I'm going to solve that problem. Something about being in the shower solves all of my plot problems.
0: I have to agree. I mean, when you're working on a paper or presentation or something, or like you said, you've got some kind of problem that you're trying to work out. I swear you get in the shower, set the hot water and you're just like, okay yeah oh this is oh this now I know what to do okay yeah and sometimes it's like okay I wish I was a way there was a way for me to better take notes because I'm not going to keep a whiteboard or something like that (laughs) okay I gotta remember this now
1: (laughs) I have dashed out of the shower like still wet trying to type things on my phone just to like get it out of my head
0: (laughs) (laughs) you've got to be able to capture those ideas when they come Mm -hmm. And so where do you typically find the inspiration behind your stories
1: Oh, they come from all over. Every book is a little bit different. Um, Sometimes it's an article that I've read Sometimes it's something I've seen on TV that sparks an idea. So the original um, idea for this series, um, the first book, the Dash Wears Prada, actually was partially sparked by an episode of Sex in the City where Carrie is at a book signing and she gets, like, downgraded to this, like, to be the second speaker behind this dog who has a book. And I just found that so hilarious that I was like, oh, yeah, what if, like, a human was an assistant to a dog? And then it kind of, like, sparked the whole conversation Concept for the first book. And um, originally when I pitched it to my agent, that was just one book in a series about something else. And my agent was the one who said, no, this dog thing, like that's that's the idea, that's the big thing here. We've got to focus on that. Can you come up with some more story ideas in this vein? And um, that's kind of how the series was born, that she kind of found that little nugget in what I gave her.
0: Well, you know, we are always a sucker for dogs and other animals in the books. You know so as you're writing these I mean for each of the books in the Paws in the City series I mean each dog also I mean in addition to your main characters obviously mm-hmm. but the dogs themselves have their own characteristics and personalities so how much fun is that trying to imbue all these different elements with the dogs and different scenarios with the dogs in addition uh-huh. to your actual main love story
1: so much fun because I, so I've always grown up with dogs. My mom, speaking of diva dogs, has two chihuahuas and God bless them. But yeah, they're a little high maintenance and I love those dogs to death. Um, But I've always been that person that's like, I'll like make up what the dog's like saying when they're doing something funny or I'll give them like a little voice. And my family always just found that so amusing. And so that came really naturally when I was writing the first Book, but I also wanted to challenge myself to give the dogs like their own character arc and their own relationship arc with the humans, Um, which was great when I did the first book. And then my editor was like, I love this so much. You have to do it in every book. And then I was like, oh no, what have I done? Then I had to do it two more times and it was quite challenging managing the human relationship arcs and the dog's arcs and the dog's voice and the human's voice. Yeah, it was a lot, but it made writing this series really challenging and really fun.
0: So what did you do to keep all that stuff straight? I mean, do you keep essentially like a a book Bible as you're putting things together? Are you, is it a series of post-its or is it all just, I mean, that just is so much stuff to keep coordinated.
1: Yeah, I probably should keep track of it. Huh? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't. I have a really organic writing style in that I like, I know what I should do with the planning and figuring stuff out in advance, but it's just not how my brain works. And um, I just have a very, very loud, busy brain when I'm in the middle of a book, because it's all just kind of buzzing around in there and um yeah my my agent knows at this point that at best my synopsis is a rough guideline of what the book will be and she might receive something totally different but I just have to kind of like I feel it as I write and that's just how it comes and I control F a lot to figure out oh wait what was that person's name again
0: oh, yeah. yeah so do you then have to go back and restructure things
1: sometimes um I mean. I find I find actually in because I've written quite a lot of books now that it was the books where I tried to force myself to plan that actually ended up having the most editing is because I was often going against my instinct while I was writing. So, um, I mean all like pretty much all books have some level of revisions, but some of them, the ones that I feel really strongly about tend to be the ones that like the Dash West Prada was very minimal revisions. Like that book just poured out of me. And when my editor read it, she's like, you know, tweak this, tweak this, but bump this thing up and that's, then we're good to go. And it's just, you know, I I know some books just come out like that, but yeah, when I've tried to force myself in the past to really like use planning cards and fill out for it, just, I don't know, it just doesn't work for me. I kind of get bored and then I don't want to write the book and I don't, I stop listening to that little thing inside me, which is usually what steers me in the right direction.
0: I want to also go back to when you said that you had discovered all the different Harlequin books in Fiji or not Fiji, Fiji, wait, Fiji, yes.
1: Fiji, yeah. (laughs)
0: my brain. But when you found all these Harlequins when you were in Fiji, and if I remember from some of my research that you also started reading, we're kind of a, the lake, the same generation growing up on the Sweet Valley High books and B.C. Andrews. How much do you think all of those types of books influence your writing today? Or what Ooh. was it about those that really grabbed your interest as a reader and then transitioned into a writer?
1: I think, so my sister made a really interesting comment to me one time when I was sort of like early on so initially I actually always thought I would write mystery novels and I'm starting to do that now it's a genre that I really love and I've loved for a long time but when I was when I discovered the the Harlequin category books I was sort of struck by how they were about people becoming better versions of themselves and I didn't think that that's what romance novels were about I thought that was about people falling in love which they are but it's sort of like the thing I learned and what my sister said to me later on she's like there's stories about people and their lives and I'm like yeah I know it's so simple but I didn't think that's what it was and you know I always think like to think of myself as a bit of a frustrated psychologist I'm fascinated by why people do things and how relationships evolve and you know, how we change. I'm very, like, very into, like, self-development and, um you know, wanting to, you know, increase self-awareness and understand myself better and improve. I hear
0: that HR background there. Oh, I
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally what drew me to that in the corporate world as well. And I was a training facilitator for us. I love that, like, sharing knowledge and, you know, improvement and stuff. And Yeah. When I discovered that that's really what romance novels were about, I was like, oh, I thought I'd discovered this like absolute hidden gem. And then I find out that lots of people know about romance novels and that's why they love it. Um, But it was a really big moment for me. and, And so it's been a focus in my writing as well to really hone in on why the relationship makes these people better than they were before, not just why they fall in love.
0: With that, then what is the appeal to branch out into the Cozy Mysteries? Because you're writing those under the name Emily George, right?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: And I think I think it's almost like a similar type of thing. What
1: I like about cozies is that it's always this like plucky character who's got tons of flaws and just keeps pushing on to, in spite of those things. I love that like that battle to get over adversity, something about that I find really satisfying. And I think that in Cozies, it often comes a bit more from like an intellectual, like a thought process place. And in um, romance, it's a bit, often a bit more of an emotional thing, but I like that they often feature characters who, yeah, battling through adversity and are just trying to like make the world a better place.
0: With all of your other creative outlets, are you still as much of a reader?
1: Yeah, I am. I mean, I kind of I definitely have phases where my head is so full of a particular book that I can find it a little bit hard to unwind if something feels like work. And sometimes reading does feel like work. That's a, a thing I have struggled with um over like the course of my career and I often like some, I'll be honest, sometimes now I do struggle to read romance because I've been writing it for so long that I, it's hard not to go into editing mode when I pick up. That's what
0: I was going to ask. I mean, when you're reading for enjoyment, do you find that you're then kind of reading, I don't know, strategically on things and start analyzing more than actually appreciating the story itself?
1: Totally. And I will, I mean, sometimes that's a good thing because sometimes I'll be like, oh, wow, the way they did XYZ with the conflict was so nuanced and cool. I'd like to do that in one of my books. You know, sometimes it can be an inspiration thing, but I do find that, yeah, it does make me like yeah it makes it hard for me to get into the story because I'm often so focused on the oh I wonder if that was something that was changed in revisions and I can kind of spot little things where it's like I can feel the editing in the writing um and that does make it a bit hard to kind of unwind and enjoy things so often I find really the um best solution for that is to read stuff that's a bit outside of what I write
0: hmm. okay yeah. And I'm guessing that might also be some of the appeal of like the Dungeons and Dragons, right? Because I mean, that also is essentially different role playing, storytelling, but also outside outside of your two main genres.
1: Yeah absolutely and it has that like I, I really enjoy that like collaborative storytelling element because I not only play Dungeons and Dragons but I also love I watch um, Critical Role for anyone who's in the D&D space They it's a like a streamed tabletop game with voice actors playing these characters and it's kind of a strange like if a D&D session and a book and a movie had a baby it's like all of these things and I love it because it just totally captures my attention and it takes me yeah, it takes me out of what I'm writing, which is, you know, very important. And I can't edit it because it's just people speaking. So I, I, yeah, I really enjoy that.
0: Has that sparked an interest in you also branching off into fantasy or paranormal urban fantasy type stories?
1: I'm not going to say whether or not there's a half-started urban fantasy on my computer (laughs) as we speak. (laughs) I am just terrible. I can't stick to one. The fact that I wrote romance novels for 10 years straight before I tried anything else is like legit a miracle because I love all genres and I want to do everything. I want to write everything. So yeah, it was it was bound to happen at some point that I would try something different. So I'm definitely not opposed to trying some fantasy or urban fantasy at some point.
0: Because I heard you were also a huge zombie fan.
1: Yes, love some post-apocalyptic fiction as well. <laughs>
0: So with that, and maybe this kind of is a springboard into our next section of Fresh Fiction Facts, which are like quick questions off the top of your head. But uh, what is your favorite zombie world, zombie storyline? Are you a Walking Dead fan? World War Z? Ooh. Resident Evil?
1: Yes. for Re- the
0: slows, you know.
1: <laughs> Resident Evil, 100%. I got the third game in that series on my PlayStation when I was 16 years old and I've been hooked ever since. My sister and I used to play it together. I would control and she would sit there with a pillow because she was too chicken to look at it the whole time. (laughs) And my husband and I play it now. He's a gamer as well. So, yeah, Resident Evil is definitely definitely up there. Um, I also started reading a series by Mira Grant, which I think is quite old now. might be from like 2012 called Feed which is a futuristic post-apocalyptic um, zombie series that's about kind of like a new wave of media and it's really fantastic. So definitely recommend that as well.
0: And with those, I mean, participating with it as a game and a lot of these have books or else they've been made into mm-hmm. movies. Yes. And you were talking about also with the Dungeons. I mean, is there a medium that you find is better? for all of these types of stories or Mm. does it deliver the same type of oomph for you I guess
1: no they all kind of give something different and I I think at heart I will always be a book person um that's just like I think is always going to be my medium of choice before anything else and I am a real like paperback like a tactile reader as well um I have done audiobooks in the past but I don't I find that my lifestyle doesn't really lend because I don't commute or anything so it doesn't really lend itself to audiobooks as much but yeah I love I love books but I also enjoy I enjoy things like video games and movies for the ability to more readily share it with someone else Um, I like that because then it's someone you know that you can kind of discuss things together so I enjoy that for a shareable medium because my husband is not really a fiction reader and so that's a way that um, that he really gets invested in stories and he's actually got a real nose for story he helps me plot a lot of my books um, and yet he doesn't read any fiction so those mediums are definitely valid as far as storytelling goes for sure.
0: Okay, I'm curious on that. So how does that work then if he's helping you plot? I mean, is it just that you guys are talking it out as opposed to giving him pages or?
1: Yeah, so he's never actually read anything that I've written. Um, And I've at this point, I think I'm up to like book 35 or 36. So and some people are like, oh, aren't you upset? And I'm like, no, it's just not his it's not his thing. But he is phenomenal for plot problems and I will sometimes say to him, hey, I've got, I need to work through a plot issue. Can we go for a walk? We have a big park near our house. And we will take off and go for a walk around the park and I'll be like, so this is happening and this thing and this thing, duh, 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 duh. what do you think I should do? And he'd be like, oh, he could do this and do this. And he has all these ideas. And like, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I could never write that in this genre. It wouldn't work. But he will always have some nugget of some idea that just like makes my brain go, yes, that's correct. And then I go off in a direction from there. Um, so yeah, he's, he's heavily involved in every book, even though he hasn't read them. <laughs>
0: okay so I'm super curious what is one of those nuggets that he gave where you're like oh there's no way I could put that into this type of romance genre just
1: oh, yeah. oh God, I can't even think of one off the top but he it's all often to do with like stuff that I think oh it, when when I was plotting my cozy mystery he started going down like a serial killer route and I'm like, that doesn't really work in the genre like that's not I, he kind of I don't think understood like the difference between a cozy mystery and like a standard kind of I mean, mystery. It's not or that
0: a... kind of murder you know. No. <laughs> no it's a little
1: too like it's a little much for a cozy.
0: Well what is something that immediately takes you out of a story either while you're writing or while you're reading or watching something?
1: Ooh, I, I struggle with a character who like can't see past their own viewpoint so when a character is very much about like everything that they're doing they think that that's like the be-all I mean I guess that's I could probably apply that to people as well but you know it's just something that I struggle with a little bit is like a character that feels very insular and doesn't you know, at least make an attempt to kind of see things from other points of view, doesn't have a expanded worldview. That kind of bugs me a little bit, regardless of what medium it's on.
0: Okay, I'm going to throw some easy ones at you for the fresh fiction facts, okay? okay? Who would you most want to be stuck in an elevator with?
1: Uh, my husband, because I feel
0: like he would know what to do. <laughs> what is your favorite writing fuel? What keeps you going?
1: got coffee for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um what is your favorite distraction when you're avoiding writing?
1: Probably watching Critical Role Dungeons and Dragons or playing Magic the Gathering cuz yes, I am that much of a nerd. <laughs> um
0: who would be your dream writer collaboration?
1: Oh. I think you just shorted my brain. Oh, Sally Hepworth. Um she's an Australian domestic suspense writer and I think she's fabulous.
0: What childish thing do you still do as an adult?
1: Uh, on Christmas Day, I eat chocolate for breakfast.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. No, no there's no.
1: I think it's perfectly fine as an adult. I make that choice for myself. Definitely.
0: <laughs> well, and growing up, uh, my whenever I would stay that with my grandmother, uh, she, she was from Holland and she would service what was like uh Basically plain white bread with butter and then chocolate sprinkles oh. on it.
1: Yeah, we do that in Australia and we call it fairy bread.
0: I <laughs> mean standard breakfast. And yeah. I tell people that now and they're just like, wow.
1: Oh, don't knock it till you try it. It's delicious. Right?
0: <laughs> so like I said, I'm all in for the chocolate for breakfast. No, no judgment here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> what is the most terrible movie that you legitimately enjoy? Oh,
1: that's a good question. Oh, (laughs) I have a thing for like really super bad, like C grade horror movies. And I watched Piranha when I was home in Australia with my dad and it was really bad. The original
0: one? Sorry? The original one from like the early 80s?
1: Oh no, this one was from, I reckon it was about like 2003, 2004. So it definitely, and it was set during like spring break of in the U.S. Is. And it was just, it had Jerry O'Connell and it was terrible and I loved it.
0: <laughs> What's your favorite one hit wonder?
1: Ooh, these are tough questions. I actually, I don't, I don't know. I couldn't tell you one off the top of my head.
0: Okay. um, How about other than books? What is something that you own a ridiculous amount of?
1: Oh, um, makeup items, <laughs> lipsticks in particular, too many <laughs> and perfume, perfume bottles. <laughs>
0: oh gosh. Okay. You've been kidnapped, but two hours later, they've returned you because you can't stop talking about what?
1: Dungeons and the Dragons.
0: Okay. Um, now somebody earlier was talking during the name game a little bit about this. But if you were going to start one, mm-hmm. what kind of cult would you start?
1: Ooh, probably a cult that worshiped really good food. I don't know if that would be a, a great cult. I would join that. Oh, that, that,
0: yeah, that would be interesting. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> what is your most dog eared, reread book? The one you keep going back to?
1: Uh, controversial. I don't reread books. Really, never. Yeah, I. There are very few. I think the only book I've read probably more than twice would be The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Ooh, dark. Dark. Yeah, I know. I know. I look very like <laughs> like light and happy, and I love dark stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't reread a lot of books because I think the thrill for me is in not knowing what happens. It's probably why I don't plot my own books. <laughs>
0: Okay, if you could see one and know that it's real, would you want to see a ghost or an alien?
1: A ghost. I feel like being spectral, they're like less of a threat than aliens.
0: If you came with a warning label, what would it say?
1: Must be caffeinated or do not come near
0: see that one does not seem to be a surprise after our conversation no
1: No. I actually have a sweatshirt that has a skeleton on the front that says dead inside but caffeinated (laughs) (laughs) I know it's such a writer cliche but it's you know I'm from Melbourne it's like the land of great coffee I have to I have to be addicted
0: hey of course right okay what are three things that every hitman needs since you are writing cozies now
1: a plan of attack, a backup weapon, and a disguise that they can put on while running.
0: Okay. Okay. Here's another off the wall one. If you suddenly had to hide a giraffe from the authorities, what would you do? And I want you to ask, answer that for both where you're at now in Toronto, and how would you do it in Australia?
1: That is a really good question. In Toronto, I would put the giraffe in a Toronto Raptors like mascot outfit and just make out like it's a really big inflatable mascot. In Australia, I would put a sign over there that said free beers and no one would look at the giraffe.
0: (laughs) Okay, I can go with that. What would you consider to be your ideal paradise?
1: A house on a lake with a really big library and a really great coffee machine and lots of big comfy couches and cozy blankets and board games and my husband.
0: That sounds fantastic.
1: Yeah, I'd love to have a cottage.
0: Now I also understand that you're a big traveler. Yes. So where is somewhere that you stay? Still
1: want to go? Oh I really am desperate to go to Italy because I'm actually my dad is Italian and I have never been to the motherland which disappoints him greatly um, but I also really want to do the Nordic sort of like Finland, Sweden, Norway, um being like such a knitter and like I love the cold. I just have a real affinity, like I I don't know a kindred spirit to that place. so that would definitely be two places I'd love to go. and Japan, there's too many places.
0: <laughs> You're hitting just a wide variety. That's okay. I want to go
1: everywhere. <laughs>
0: Well, the Confessions of a Canine Drama Queen just came out as number three in the Paws in the City, but you know we always want to know what's next. Can you give us any hints? What should we anticipate?
1: Yeah, so I am hard at work on uh, my Emily George Cozy Mystery Series at the moment. The second book for that comes out in February. It's called A High Tide Murder, and it takes place during a surfing competition because the books are set on the California coast. So surfing competition uh, comes to town and there's a dead body in a hotel room. So I'm hard at work on that. And then I'm actually also working on um a proposal for another thriller for my publisher that's publishing my thrillers under my SJ Short pen name so i'm actually deep in deep in the mystery zone at the moment
0: i didn't dig up that pen name
1: it oh. was only announced this week so so that's a new one oh.
0: Brand new, okay. Yeah. So a darker thriller line, then.
1: Yeah, fe- female centric, um, and set all set in Australia as well, which is um something I have had some trouble with in my career is trying to sell my Australian books. So yeah, we found a publisher that really likes it. The books are all set in my hometown of Melbourne. So I'm working on the second one in that that kind of contract.
0: Oh, wow. So with all of that, where then is the best place for our readers and listeners to keep in touch with you and find out the details of exactly when those books come out?
1: Yeah, probably my socials is the best place to find me. And on Instagram, I am AussieGalWrites um, and all of my stuff is under the one handle because ain't nobody got time for three social media accounts. (laughs) So AussieGalWrites on Instagram and then each of my pen names do have a separate Facebook page and website. Um, But stephanie-london.com is probably the best place to go like centrally for those three things.
0: Fantastic. Well, Stephanie, stick around for our After Hours Happy Hour with our readers where they can ask you some questions directly. But let me thank you again for joining us. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so
1: much for having me. This was super fun. I can't wait to chat to the readers now. Awesome.